cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on September the 18th, 2009. For the newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. On the website, you'll see on the front page all the other sites I have up there. Download them, at least bookmark them for future use because the main servers occasionally go down. And that way you'll be able to download the latest shows from the other sites. There's a whole bunch to choose from. There's cuttingthrough.jenkins.com, cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca. There's Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca. And there's also Alan Watt, sentinel.eu. The last one is a European site. It has the same audios as the rest, but it also has addition of transcripts, which you can download for print-up, written in the various languages of Europe and Scandinavia, etc., and remember that uh, I'm probably the only talk show host that uh, relies on the, the listeners to support them. Yeah, completely, that is, because I'm not backed by any foundations, NGOs, or companies, or whatever. The advertising on this show uh, is paid by the advertisers straight to the RBN radio station for their airtime, for their staff, technicians, equipment, and their bills, and so on. So it's up to you, the listeners, to keep me going, and you can do so by looking at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's ways to, to purchase my books and discs, etc. You'll see on the site how to do it, and remember that I take PayPal. That's on the site. You can also order your books through PayPal, or you can use personal check within the U.S. and Canada. Uh, and also in the U.S., don't forget, a lot of people just don't like the banks, don't have bank accounts. Uh, they can use postal money orders, international postal money orders from the post office. And that's a lot cheaper than Western Union or other methods. Outside the Americas, Western Union and MoneyGram or even straight cash is okay. It cuts out the middleman. So it's up to you to keep me going uh, by donations or purchasing that which I have for sale. Now, lots of you will get this burned from all the shows they don't have computers. They play them in their CD players, and uh, they're passed around at meetings and so on. You're in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P as in Peter, 3, E as in Elizabeth, 4, N as in Nora, 1, P3E4M1. And as I say, I'm not backed by any of the big groups. Uh, there are any groups out there, in fact, telling to be independent, and this way I can pretty well say what I want to say. And if you're under sponsorship even, you're, you're generally limited as to certain topics as well. You can't criticize certain topics either, obviously. So it makes me a free agent. And I'm not out to make a career out of this because I don't need it. And believe you me, I'd be making money doing something else very, very easily, very quickly if I wanted to do so. But this is a full-time uh, occupation, 
seven days a week, and every day there's a crisis here and there with computers and different things that have to be done, uh, weekends as well. That's just the way it goes. Plus, you have problems with the satellite uploads. That's what I use. I'm, I'm in the rural areas, so I don't have cable. And uh, ExploreNet, ExploreNet's the company I go through. They punish me for using it. They punish me. I can't watch videos or anything. They, they've been an automatic uh, rollover thing where they just cut me off. It slows to almost a halt, and then it dies on you. And then you restart your computer about 10 times in an hour, and maybe, maybe you can get dial-up speed once in a while. That's what they do when you try and use it. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. You find the more that you study... Uh, the reality, it's a hard thing to come across as reality. You certainly won't find it in mainstream. But uh, once you understand how to decipher reality, you can definitely see where mainstream leads you. That's its job, is to lead you um, in a, a concentrated effort uh, along a certain path of thought. That really, it's, it's all designed for you. You don't have to do much, just go along with it. And those thoughts and opinions become your thoughts and opinions. Everything seems quite natural as they move you, move you from one corral to the next corral to the next corral. That's how it's done. It's very simple because they're all on board with the same agenda at the same time. And that's why you have uh, news blitzes, they used to call them news blitzes, where the same topics, um, controversial topics, uh, explode across the world at this exact same time. It's to get... Uh, is to raise public awareness, as I like to call it, as they condition you to accept a point of view that they have designed that you will come to, basically, without thinking through it. And we're living in a time now of incredible changes when the big boys in the eugenics societies and academia and the, the sciences, etc., are all working together towards this brave new world uh, post-industrial, where they don't need all of the lower classes anymore. In fact, they don't even need the middle classes. In fact, they're very afraid of middle classes because during, down through history, it's generally the middle classes who've, who've led the charge for change that also helped the lower classes. And without the middle classes doing the, the charging or the leading, unfortunately, the lower classes tend not to, to do it themselves or they fall into the extreme left wing and that's designed for them and it's ruled by the elite from the top anyway. It's a false paradigm. But for a while now, they've been going about population reduction. In the 70s, it came out in a concentrated effort to, to promote um, small families and to abortions and, and to make it acceptable amongst the populace until it's commonplace. That's happened. And I knew then they'd go for the, the elderly, and sure enough, they did eventually start that euthanasia and places like Holland and then other countries are following suit because a long time ago uh, you'll find people like Julian Huxley who worked for the United Nations at UNESCO uh, in his own writings and I've read it on the air from his own book where he said we'll have to teach the public to think not just about birth control but about death control meaning, meaning eliminating people when they decide at the top 
uh, that they don't need you anymore. You're, there's too many of the same kind that are under the same age, and you're about retirement age. So they want to bring the populations of the world down. Now, it's one thing to, to encourage people to have small families, but it's another thing when they, when they seriously debate ways and means to start culling the population, those who are alive. And I'm literally dead serious about this because they've been doing this for a long time, having these world meetings and talks about it. And they don't just talk about it at the top. They implement plans to bring down populations. That's the real world. That's the real world. We're run by oligarchs, not democracies. And they give you during your lifetime main heroes in certain areas from television that you'll follow uh, who become the, your guiding lights in certain areas like wildlife and Canada they gave us David Suzuki a guy who's up on YouTube uh, when he was a, a young professor uh, comparing human beings to maggots he was a eugenicist and a geneticist but they're always the same the two go together you can't be one without the other because you start off and genetics teaching about eugenics along the Darwinian type route superior, inferior and all that kind of stuff and in Britain they gave an icon who was on the go before I was born called David Attenborough uh, a nice flowing voice he went all over the world showing all these nice animals and all the rest of it and of course I've mentioned him about a month ago when he came out with the Optimum Population Trust uh, demanding to start bringing down the populations. And here he is again, along with Suzuki too. Suzuki's, uh, they're on the same club, you might say. And every country has their, their Attenborough and their Suzuki. Every country has been given them, not by chance. They've been selected, trained, and they're all, they all belong to the same club, with always the f same final agenda. That's how you control the world. It's standardized across the world. So, as I say, he's an icon for people in Britain and English-speaking uh, countries. And uh, this is the Sunday Times, April the 19th, 2009. It says, new review, interview, David Attenborough. The naturalist is frightened. He's frightened by the number of people in the world and says the human race needs to be reduced. See, it's right out in the open. This is at a time when world meetings are going on about, oh, there's going to be millions of deaths from the swine flu, I guarantee you if something is given to the public, it will be released on the public. Because these guys are serious at the top. The only problem they have is to release something and have us dying off thinking it really is some freak of nature that's killing you and not them. It says here, uh, bending gingerly over a deep green pond in the garden of his home in Richmond, southwest London, Sir David Attenborough and I are inspecting a great crested newt. Triturus, he says, pointing, uh, look, he says, the bosky voice creeps past Gasmar, Gasmark 4. He is wafting his hormones there, and in a minute, that animal, unfortunately, I had been looking at a reed, flicks in the water, she's off, oh, wonderful, says he. It's the first proper day of spring, and after a short scuffle with the double doors, we've come outside the posh way that is not through the kitchen. Centered briskly onto the lawn, past the large mossy... I don't know who wrote this. Camilla Long, I 
Edinburgh's a vision in top with calcum, uh, calcum, calcium powder, talcum powdered features, a surprisingly firm handshake, blah, 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 blah. His daughter Susan offers me a drink of water, blah, 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 blah. She says, my wife died 12 years ago, so she comes here and restocks the fridge and, as she puts it elegantly, mucks me out. Then talk about his house is like a natural history museum. He's lived there for 55 years. I'm trying to get to the point of this whole story. It's like one of these soaps, you know, or, or one of these novels. It says, Attenborough is not here to discuss wildlife. He's here to discuss humans and how there are far too many of them. Earlier last week when it was announced that he had become a patron of the Optimum Population Trust, that's that bunch of very, very rich white men, as they call themselves, he explained that there are three times as many people in the world as when I started making television programs 56 years ago. It's frightening. We can't go on as we've been. We are seeing the consequences in terms of ecology, atmospheric pollution, and in terms of space and food production. And then he goes through the whole spiel that the eugenics guys want you to believe in as they roll out their graphs and their charts and all that rubbish since they've been doing since the days of Malthus. He used charts as well. All his predictions were baloney too, and most of the figures he just plucked out of the air. They're still doing the same stuff today. But as I say, this guy's an icon, so when he speaks, people drop their jaws and, and listen to this, this idol of ecology and nature worship. And now his, his real motive for doing all those years in a career on television has come to the front, because this is the, the real point of it all, not the animals. He doesn't tell you how fast the animals were breeding, does he? Or the tadpoles. And all the wetlands have been created for them to swim about in, so they can go up by billions and billions. He doesn't mention that. No, it's humans are the problem. Humans, he says. Then it says, besides what's the ideal figure for human life on Earth, Attenborough's little soft focus and details, well, of course they are, because they're talking about there. I don't know how you'd calculate optimumness, optimumness, but certainly the mere fact of what we're doing to the natural world makes it perfectly clear where we passed it, half the world starving. Well, no wonder. People never look into the reason for starvation. You know, all through the Cold War, we heard in different parts of the world there was starvation going on. It was because the East and the West were arming factions to fight each other in areas which, where they wanted to decimate the population so the big corporations could move in and take it over. That happened all the time. Plus you had the agri-food businesses taking over the farms as governments of countries in the Western world were all putting farmers out of business through legislation. Lots of farmers were put up, thousands and thousands of farms in the U.S. and Canada were put under by government legislation. And inspectors coming on the land, oh, E. coli comes from the cattle. You're too near a stream, it's a mile away. and might get into that stream as the, as the deer uh, walk through the stream and poop in it. That's okay, but, you know, and, and so on and so on. And this is how they've done it, you see, because you must control the public, the population, through food. It's a great weapon. That's what they said at the United Nations Ministry of Agriculture, that food has always been used as a weapon. And we're going to see that very shortly used as a weapon because five agri-food businesses, literally, with all the major shareholders, are all the same people. So it's really one company, as far as I'm concerned, control the world's food supply. So it says this, he's seen this for himself countless times in African slums, South American slums, 
little children playing with open sewers, rats filled, disease, poverty, terrible. Look into Latin America, I've got some great videos on them. In fact, you'll see the problems there through U.S. Pol- uh, 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 policies in Latin America and uh, the fact that it's already slated most of South America to come into the NAFTA agreement and be the, the, the um, supplier of most vegetables for the Americas in the future, they'll be putting all the people who lived on the land off the land for years and years and years and moving them into these slums. That's why you see the poverty, the disease, etc., down in South America. See, the guys use all, they, they omit as much as they can to mis, mislay you off into a different direction. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the Matrix, reading an article from the Times uh, about David Attenborough, the the wonderful hero to many people uh, who comes out for wildlife and gives you nature talks and shows you little furry, cute animals, showing his real true colors as the, the genesis that he truly is, an elitist eugenicist. Of course, they're all elitist at the top. And he's a sir, of course, as well. But... Um, he gives you, again, misleading statements here about starvation. He doesn't tell you why there's been starvation across the world. Yet book after book was published on starvation all through the 70s and the 80s into the 90s. And it was because the East and West had factions fighting each other. And they were arming up both sides. Uh, but people are fighting little wars, left wing and right wing. Uh, they're not farming. They're not farming, you see. And that's where they were having all these different famines across across various countries. But he admits that, that part. He's trying to make, to make you think this is too many people. Same with, with Latin America. In Latin America, the policy is to get all the people who are self-sufficient off their lands, and they have got so many off, and now they're, they're thrown together in these little slum areas with no right to farm. Because that's the future agenda. Agri-food businesses only, the big boys. So then he goes into his other thing too. So what's a large number of children? Attenborough has two. Susan, who's unmarried, and Robert, an anthropologist who has two children. The great naturalist pauses to think. The great naturalist. I guess that means we are all unnatural. Maybe we're artificially. It says, five, the fact is, he says, the human race ought to be reduced. Now, he won't volunteer. None of these people volunteer to, to be an example to the rest. He says, you can't just get rid of people, though, no, no, he says, well, you say that, but you do get rid of people. There are famines, and people are very good at getting rid of each other. They've always used wars and stuff. I'm not for a microsecond suggesting that's a good thing, but there are all sorts of diseases and disasters that can happen to humanity. Now, don't think for a minute this guy isn't up in the top meetings discussing ways of wiping you all out, because of course he will be. Of course he will be. This is what all this bird flu nonsense and so on. All this stuff to get us ready for something coming, something coming. That by all the laws of health and medicine, no one could possibly predict. And here they are, it's coming in October. They just know it across the whole planet. If anything happens in October, it'll be from the, the, the shot itself. Then they'll turn around and tell you that you actually caught the flu and the shot didn't work. And people will believe it. This goes on to 
say, so if we don't take control of the problem ourselves, then nature or self-interest will. None of this is really applicable to Britain, of course. Here the problem is not overpopulation, but the aging population. The aging population. See, they've already got rid of the young. They abort them. You see? You've got to read Charles Galton, Darwin, the guy who was right out front about it, and ways to depopulate society. But he, he mentioned really why. He says we can't allow the lower classes to breed. We should encourage the upper classes to breed and give them incentives to breed, but you must start eliminating the lower classes because he saw the end of industrialization. And they know too, and Charles Galton Darwin knew this as well, that, that if they allow people a better standard of living and the chance uh, at a good work or occupation and a, a better income, they, they gradually, without being forced to, have smaller families anyway. And they go for the material goods. They understand that. But now they're bypassing even that, saying, oh, sustainability, we're consuming too much. You see? So they brought in the greening agenda along with the depopulation thing. And you will see people volunteering eventually uh, for, for death to save the world. And they might even have old pagan fanfares like they used to have in ancient days. They will all be dressed in green and, and grass sticking out of their hair and all that kind of stuff uh, as, they, as they start killing the ones who volunteered to die to save the planet for series, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Wonderful. It says here, yes, it presents great economic problems, says Attenborough. That's a place of the sun, Attenborough, isn't it? It's a question of the lesser of two evils. He will be 83 next month. Presumably he wouldn't like it if there was no one to look after him. Of course you wouldn't because you're selfish. It's, it's, it's that blue butterfly again, he pauses. What was I saying? As though he's absent-minded, eh? Oh, keeping the population down, getting old, closing our borders. We have to keep our borders open. It's a worldwide problem. You see, there's what you can't understand. As I say, Britain did follow the guidelines. They were goody two-shoes, and they were told from the 20s on to have smaller families and go for the material goods, and they did that. And then during Maggie Thatcher's reign, and just before she came in, in fact, they opened the borders uh, to many countries, including India. And Maggie Thatcher said, well, we got to, you see, people in Britain are not producing enough children to pay off the, the national debt. See, you can't please these creeps at the top. It's an agenda. And it's true, it's a worldwide agenda. They don't care about nations. They never did care about nations. They used all the nations for war and profiteering, but that was, that was it, to get to a certain stage. Now, the goal is the whole world, and they don't care about the peasant of Russia. He's equivalent to the peasant of anywhere else including Britain, as far as you're concerned. He says, you want a free movement of people around the world because that's the only way you're going to stop wars, he says. Oh, really? No, if the big boys stop financing them and put their boys into governments, then you would stop the wars. Uh, these guys are born liars. You're, just, you're talking about a certain class that's been around for an awful long time. An aristocracy who've been behind all the wars and the banking of them and the profiteering of them as well. And they have never told the public the truth about anything. Anything. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, going through the techniques that are used on our minds as they go into a concentrated effort, a concerted effort to give us all the same downloading from different sources about the same topics, leading us along a way of thinking and bringing us to a conclusion uh, and even having us argue with each other as we fall into, well, they should or they shouldn't. You should never fall into these traps that are laid right there for you. You always say, what are they really after? When government's after something, it's power. It's power over something. It's always over you, but in some other area. And whatever they put on the books has a different agenda. Once it's on the books, it expands to include, 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 and so on. You've all seen it before. So never fall for the emotive topics they give you and fall into the camps of, well, sometimes they should and sometimes they shouldn't, like this following uh, article here. Remember, I'll put the links up on these articles on my website, cuttingforthematrix.com, at the end of the show. This is from Newsweek. It's a typical PR uh, stunt to give, to give you conclusions and to get folk arguing over it, you see. They fall into their argument trap always. It's called The Case for Killing Granny. Now, remember Obama came out and said that, that uh, he, he said, uh, you know, when my grandmother, I think it was his grandmother was dying or something or in hospital terminal, he says, you know, I thought about the cost and so on. And he says, you know, some of these people get artificial hips given before they die and is it really worth it and blah, blah, blah. And they've got the economic factor, yap, 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 as they followed his lines. This is the same guy that would give the go-ahead, not that it would have mattered, we've gone ahead regardless of the put in there uh, to, to give trillions of dollars to the bankers who just robbed the people yeah but uh, they want to take money away from healthcare so this is the real reason for healthcare that's why government wants in on it so they can manage your life you understand that's control your life that's why politics wants to get involved in managing you and your healthcare and you know what the government does they make laws and rules, then you must do's, and you must not do's, you see, that kind of stuff. Newsweek, the case for killing granny. There's no coincidence that all this stuff comes out after he talks about this. Rethinking end-of-life care. Remember I talked about the pathways stuff that they have in Britain, they call it the pathways, uh, and it's the extermination camp basically you're put into, and they withdraw food and water and, and just let you die. And remember, the United Nations has declared a good citizen, a good global citizen, as a good producer-consumer. If you're a pensioner, obviously, you're now just a consumer. Don't forget it. This is all economics. Don't fall into the emotional parts of what I'm about to read here. And this is published September the 12th, 2009. And it's written just like a soap again, you see. This is how they go into the motives when they want you to fall into the motive thing. My mother wanted to die, but the hospitals wouldn't let her. At least that's the way it seemed to me as I stood by her bed in an intensive care unit at a hospital in Hilton Head, South Carolina, five years ago. My mother was 79, a long-time smoker who was dying of emphysema, yet he finds something to hit the smokers. She knew that her quality of life was increasingly tethered. My, my grannies died in their late 90s, and, and they chain-smoked plain cigarettes, no tips, no fillers in them. And they didn't die of emphysema or cancer. She knew that her quality of life was increasingly tethered to an oxygen tank and she was losing her ability to get about and that she was slowly drowning. The doctors at her bedside were recommending various tests and procedures to keep her alive. But my mother, with a certain firmness I recognized, said no. She seemed puzzled a bit, frustrated 
that she had to be so insistent on her own demise. The hospital at my mother's assisted living facility was sustained by Medicare, which pays by the procedure. I don't think the doctors were trying to be greedy by pushing more treatments on my mother. That's just the way the system works. The doctors were responding to the expectations of almost all patients. As a doctor, a friend of mine puts it, Americans want the best, they want the latest, and they want it now. We expect doctors to make heroic efforts, especially to save lives and the lives of our loved ones. The idea that we might ration health care to seniors or anyone else is political anathema. Politicians do not dare breathe the R word, lest they be accused, however wrongly, of trying to pull the plug on grandma. Well, Obama did say that pretty well. But the need to spend less money on the elderly at the end of life is the elephant in the room in the health reform debate. Everyone sees it, but no one wants to talk about it while they have at the top. It's not the smoke ourselves. At a more basic level, Americans are afraid not just of dying, but of talking and thinking about death, until Americans learn to, to contemplate death as a more than a scientific challenge to be overcome, our health care system will remain unfixable. So here's how the, then it goes into the economic factors, you see. Going back to Julian Huxley, he was the guy who said, remember, back in, in, in I think the 50s, he says, we have to teach the public to start thinking not just about birth control, but death control. They're living too long, he said. This is the same agenda. Don't fall into poor old granny who wants to die. Don't fall, don't fall for this. It's an argument, people. Well, she should, no, she should. Yes, she should, no, she should. Don't fall for that. Look what they're really after. Compared with other Western countries, the United States has more health care, but generally speaking, not better health care. There's no way we can get control of costs, which have grown by nearly 50% in the past decade without finding a way to stop over-treating parents, their patients. In his address to Congress, President Obama spoke eerily about reducing inefficiency, but he slid past the hard choices that will have to be made to stop health care from devouring ever large slices of the economy and tax dollar. Well, I don't see why not. As I said, they can, they can throw trillions at bankers that rob you, trillions of dollars, and get nothing back for it. At least, at least they're taking care of the elderly, they create jobs and all the rest of it, and they can live the rest of their lives in a humane fashion. A significant portion of the savings will have to come from the money we spend on seniors at the end of life because, as Willie Sutton explained about why he robbed banks, that's where the money is. So, so the elderly are getting all... See how they can target any group they want. That they never target, and suddenly they are the enemy. And for those who fall into the emotional thing and can't think for themselves, they will be the enemy. They can point, they point at any group at all, and they do, by the way. <laughs> you go from one group to the next until they get their way. Now they're, 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 they've just aimed their guns at the elderly. As President Obama said, most of the uncontrollable growth in federal spending and the deficit comes from Medicare. Uncontrolled growth in... It's because we got wiped out by the banking boys. You know, the guys who put them in there. Nothing, nothing else comes close. Almost a third of the money spent by Medicare, about $66.8 billion a year, goes to chronically ill patients in the last two years of life. How was it they first asked for the Federal Reserve? Was it $700 billion? That was the first statement. And when the woman spoke from the Federal Reserve as to why they chose that amount, she said, well, we just wanted a, big, a nice big number. They said we'd have to get a bailout off the... Now it's into the trillions. But never mind that. They know the public have a very short memory. Very, very short indeed. And now they're targeting the elderly. And, and us too. Getting us trained. That you're going to have a certain age and you're going to walk into the euthanasia 
clinic, you see. Soylent Green had that. Watch the movie Soylent Green. It was written by ecologists. They first called it Make Room, Make Room to try to say, oh, the world will be so overpopulated, folk will want to die. It says this might seem obvious. Of course, the costs come at the end, at the end when patients are the sickest, but that can explain what researchers at Dartmouth have discovered. Medicare spends twice as much on similar patients in some parts of the country as in others. The average cost of a Medicare patient in Miami is $16,351. The average in Honolulu is $5,311. In the Bronx, New York, it's $12,543. In Fargo, it's $5,738. So it's all down to dollars and cents, isn't it? That's where they bring you down to. This is a real motive here. They want total, you know, more money. So if it's not getting spent on that, the government can use that to make bombs and things and uh, non-lethal weapons and new stealth fighters and these robot bombs they want more and more and more of. You see, they've got lots of good plans for this money if they can just wipe out the elderly. Why can't we all understand that? What's our problems, eh? Ah, boy. There's a very good site uh, on Jane Burgermeister who came out against the Baxter Laboratory initially when it supposedly, I think they call it a class five or six uh, lab. You don't make mistakes at these laboratories. You do not make mistakes to have all these fail safeguards, fail safes on top of fail safes. And yet supposedly it makes two kinds of viruses together, a common virus, uh, flu, and uh, I think it was the, the swine flu or, or the, the avian flu. And if that had gone to a human being, you're now guaranteeing eventually as it spread from person to person and we become the breeders for these viruses as they join together to produce a hybrid or a killer disease. Luckily, they were stopped by other um, agencies on the way. They didn't get into the population. And one of the, the companies, I think in Czechoslovakia, uh, injected it into ferrets. That's what they do to see how it killed them all. Baxter Laboratories. Baxter, part of the IG Farben in World War II. But Jean Burkermeister came out about that particular incident and said, you know, they're trying to kill the people. And I think she's a, a, a licensed doctor, and, and I think she also lost her license for speaking out about this. And she's got lawsuits out against different and the World Health Organization. She's trying to sue them. Good luck, it won't happen. Uh, but um, she's trying. And this is a great website with a lot of information on, on uh, and a lot of links to articles on vaccines, uh, YouTube video archive stuff on it too. Um, what's in these particular vaccines, not just hearsay, but what's actually in them and all, and all the rest of it. Lots and lots of links as to, as to what's going on about. And, this is, um, and it's also about Jane Burgermeister. gives you her story of what happened to her when she spoke out about this. And she said herself, these kind of laboratories don't make that kind of accident. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's beyond gross negligence. I mean, it's beyond all that. It just can't can happen by accident. So I'll put that link up too and check out the stuff that's on the site there. And as we live, here they are, they want to kill back when the population, and the cops are getting every toy that they want, toys for the boys, until it's farcical the money that's getting spent by them, and the military too. 
And this is from the Mail Online. It's about Florida. It says, it's, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's a flying Florida police in the new bulletproof paragliders. No kidding. 18th September 2009. And yet another novel innovation in police transport, especially trained Florida force, is to take to the skies and motorize the bulletproof paragliders. The officers of the Palm Bay Police Force are to fly 400 feet up, equipped with radios, cameras, and GPS satellite systems, as to patrol the ground beneath. The trikes the officers ride are, in bullet, are bulletproof. The tricycles are bulletproof. Codenamed Operation, listen to this, they love these anachronisms, S-O-A-R, SOAR, Search Operations Aerial Response. Do you ever th- wonder if they ever grow up, these people? Do they really, are they really just stuck in a certain age there somewhere? This is a four-strong team will provide assistance to officers on the ground as a cheaper alternative to helicopters. With one 18,000-pound unit in their possession and another more modest 8,000-pound gliding backpack to, to come, the officers of Pam Bay are all set to make history on November the 1st this year. This is, to my mind, no other paragliding, there is, to my mind, no other paragliding police in the world, says Lieutenant Joe Eakins, who is leading the Florida-based unit. Like most police over the world, at some point we require aerial assistance, and this provides that. So there you go. Eh? 10,000 feet up I can fly, 30 miles an hour. And they're putting out a, a bunch of these to have fun over the beaches. Toys for the boys, eh? Toys for the boys. But it's okay, taxpayers pay for everything. And there's never a quibble about that. Never a quibble about that, is there? There's never a quibble about NASA either and all the, all the secret stuff they're up to. They're throwing millions and trillions of dollars worth of stuff in, up into space. No, that's like it. Oh, no, we must go ahead with scientific research. It's important, you know, for progress. Progress. Or who defines progress? Let's kill the elderly instead, eh? Yeah. All we have to do now is convince the general public this is normal, and, and it will be normal before you know it. You'll have a certain age, uh, just like Logan's run, and uh, your, your time is up. You're called in. This article is guardian.co.uk. This is Skeptics Seize on Climate Cooling Model. Research suggesting that global temperatures may fall. Actually, it is falling, as they know. It's being used by deniers. Oh, denier, you're a denier. And skeptics dismiss the entire canon of climate change. It says, could it be true that global temperatures will fall before they rise? That's the thrust of a presentation at last week's World Climate Conference. It's so funny. With straight faces, came out and said, yeah, yeah, this is, this is a part of the, the warming phase. The, the world cools for years before it gets warm. So we're going to a cooling phase, but still really under the warming phase. See? So Mojib Latif of Kiel University in Germany suggested that cooling caused by natural factors could suppress global temperatures for several years, after which they will start to rise again, maybe. This presentation, first reported by the eagle-eyed Fred Pierce, the new scientist, has been seized upon by skeptics and deniers all over, I skip deniers, eh? all over the blogosphere. It was picked up this morning by the BBC Today program, which invited my old championing, uh, old uh, friend Philip Scott, who spends his time championing such dubious productions as the great global warming swindle and Michael Crichton's state of fear to raise questions about the global warming thesis. Professor Latif suggested that the long-term warming trend could be masked, perhaps for as long as 10 or 20 years, by temporary cooling, 
caused by natural fluctuations in currents and temperatures called the North Atlantic Oscillation. Thereafter, he told today program, temperatures will pick up again and continue to warm. Maybe. Could Latif be right? Who knows? As far as I can tell, his paper has not yet been published, so other scientists haven't had the opportunity to see how strongly it is. If they buy a special computer and feed it in, you know, pre-program it to give them the right information, then they can say, see, we're right. It's all rubbish that could ask to change our entire way of living. Going green, as they call it. The new religion that Gorbachev talked about that will rule mankind with the appointed priesthoods, mind you, the new scientists of ecology. Too many people, blah, 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 blah. It's all part of it, you see. It's all part of the same thing. That's all. You won't get any truth out of the media. The media has kept us in the dark for, for, as, for as long as I've been alive and my parents and grandparents. That's their job. That's their job. Now, believe it or not, uh, uh, when Scotland goes crazy over the, the swine flu stuff, you know that the boys in the Scottish Parliament are just uh, on the paymasters of the same old country. This is from the Scotsman newspaper, 17th of September. Ministers, that's politicians, have been urged to have thousands of cardboard coffins ready for mass deaths should swine flu take a turn for the worse. They're cheap there, eh? Cardboard coffins. Cardboard coffins. Or if it's raining too, eh? But good would it be? I thought biodegradable, that's why. I'll be back with more after these messages. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. And uh, I'll finish with that story with the Scotsman. I didn't realize that the hour had just flown in like that. Plus, I have another show after this one. And I'll go to the phones now and grab Cody from Oregon. Are you there, Cody? Yeah, I'm here, Alan. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, I read um, Out of Control by Vince White, mm-hmm. a, book that, a book that you recommended. And, and wow, that, had, that was very insightful uh, to see how controlled... Uh, just that band was, you know, yes. by the by the music industry or whatever, and mm-hmm. you know, it seemed like they were really just pushing the culture, like you always talk about. Yes. And uh, you know, it kind of kind of made me wonder that, you know, made me think that, you know, a band like that that's supposed to be rebelling against the system and everything, it's you know, and and they're that far controlled. It made me wonder how bad the mainstream bands were. Oh yeah, uh, they're all actually they're all vetted. It's not so much the bands themselves; it's those that manage them, that guide them along a particular track. And, and they get them, or at least they try to give the appearance to the public, they're all involved in a political socialist movement. That was the whole intention of it, whereas the guys themselves, certainly Vince, uh, wasn't into socialism at all. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, but I mean, in a lot of ways, they're, you know, kind of just prostitutes in a way by just, you know, uh, not really sticking to their, to their morals or their values and just kind of selling whatever's, you know, out there to sell. That's what generally happens. That's what generally happens with all the big uh, bands out there. I can remember when the Beatles uh, were given, I think it was one of the, the Order of the British Empire or something from the Queen, and after Britain had done something to some other country, they took them back and threw them back, and, and uh, at least they had the guts to say, you know, have this stuff back, we're not proud of uh, serving you. Um, but you don't yeah. see that anymore today, not today. You know. Yeah, not, not a whole lot. And then um, another thing is I was kind of along the same lines talking about music here. I was going through a music theory book that I had, 
and uh, I ran across an old buddy of ours, old uh, Pythagoras, mm-hmm. and uh, and it said uh, that he was responsible for making the chromatic scale. The, that's uh, right. Basically, yeah, that's right. He basically mathematics. cut it up into into twelve uh, intervals. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and, uh, and he measured so, them. He measured them too, and in the Middle Ages, they reconstructed those scales using the box and the one-string method, uh, and got the harmonics, and that's how they came out with the medieval music for the churches. Yeah. Wow, interesting number they chose, huh? Oh yeah. Oh okay. yeah. So, so would the uh, would the thirteen would that would that uh, for the octave would that represent the uh, hidden master? In a sense, a sense it would. In a sense, it would. Yeah. Yeah, there's always, yeah, I, there's just, always I, I just heard that from your uh, talk today when you were talking about that, how the number 13 and then the number 12 and what they represented, it was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I heard it from your old CDs. That's why you have the number 13 all across logos that you'll see. You'll see them inverted on their side, uh, and you, that's actually the McDonald's logo, for instance. Uh, sometimes oh, yeah. you yeah, you just turn it on its side till the ones at the bottom on, on the horizontal and... Uh, and you've got the, the, the three above it, like an M, uh, but that's 13, regardless. It's McDonald's. And you'll see towns use that, too, for the logos as well. It's supposedly representing two hills or something, and there's always a line underneath it. It's a 13, yeah. Well, the, the esoteric is just everywhere. You know, once you start finding out a little bit about it, it just starts popping up out at you everywhere. It is everywhere. It's, I, I live next to a train crank, and I watch all these freight trains go by. And every car has a Masonic logo on them from every company. Yeah. Wow. You know, one, one thing that that book said also is it said Pythagoras uh, wasn't necessarily one person. They said they, it might have been a group of people. Oh, I'm sure it was. He, he and others were trained in Egypt again. And they went back, and he went to Croton, actually. It was a province of Greece, but it was based in uh, Italy. And started a school up there until it was burned down by locals who knew what he was up to. <laughs> So thanks wow. for well, well, thank you. It was nice thanks. talking to you. Bye now. Well, that's it for tonight, folks. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.